Welcome to the Housing Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors and the Center for California Real Estate. Good morning, everyone. It's uh, Housing Matters Podcast again. Uh, this is Oscar Way and Jordan Levine here. Hey, everyone. So, Jordan, um, we talked about first-time buyers last time, and I think... Uh, Typically, every couple of weeks or so, maybe every, I mean, I shouldn't say couple of weeks, every two or three times, we want to give an update of the economy. Maybe it's about time to talk about the economy because we just had some economic uh, uh, report released last week, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're in the business of real estate, obviously, but um, the housing market doesn't happen in a bubble, and so it's good to kind of have a sense of what what's happening out there more generally just in terms of economic conditions that might then filter through and and the big one that we got last week was the third quarter GDP number um, which came out from the Bureau of Economic Analysis talking about economic growth overall for the US economy so that's right that's right and of course I think you're absolutely right the housing market has a lot to do with the GDP or it has a lot to do with economic growth so an economic growth device for sure as well so was it a positive report or was it a okay report what do it you was think? a pretty solid report in fact I was pretty surprised in fact on the upside in some ways we had an overall reading on GDP growth of 2.9 percent which is you know pretty much the strongest we've seen in over a year and a half um, fairly broad-based with consumers still doing relatively well. We see a, some business investment finally coming back around um, and a big pop surprisingly on on the side of exports where we saw um, uh, a contribution of about 0.8 percent of that 2.9 percent growth was straight from exports and so um, overall pretty pretty good reading. We did see consumers pull back slightly but um, overall, I think a lot of analysts were surprised at, at how strong the economy was from July to September. Yeah, I think I remember the first quarter and the second quarter of this year, they were very, very tepid. Uh, less than 1% for the first quarter, and the second quarter was only uh, slightly above uh, 1%, 1.4%, if I remember correctly, right? Yeah, and actually the, that was a little bit higher than the original number. So in second quarter, they actually first came out and said 1.1%. Then when they kind of went through and did their revisions down the road, um, it got revised up, but only to 1.4%. So it kind of continues that trend of just being pretty consistently disappointed with the GDP numbers to getting something that surprises to to the upside. There is some um, cause, I wouldn't say for alarm, but you know something to keep an eye on is that um, consumers actually didn't contribute as much as they have been. So really, pretty much since the recession ended back in 2009, all the way up through the last five or six years, um, consumers have really kind of shouldered the load here in terms of driving our economy forward out of the Great Recession. Um, they were still the biggest source of growth this quarter as well, uh -huh. but just weren't growing, you know, as much. I think a big part of that is on the auto side, where, 
you know, folks went out and purchased all those new cars. Now they're, you know, pretty dialed in in terms of new vehicles. And so, um, you know, I think you're going to see more uh, moderate growth from consumers, but hopefully the business sector will step in and, and pick up some of that slack going forward. Yeah, maybe also because Apple didn't release anything. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, uh, the iPhone 7, it doesn't seem like that's having a huge, huge impact yet. So Okay, well, well, but you said, you know, it's still pretty solid as far as consumer spending is concerned, right? Yeah, they're still contributing to growth and they're still the biggest source of growth, mm-hmm. just not in the, at the same level that they were. Okay, and I also realized, I think, from the uh, from the GDP, that there is another component that was pretty big. Uh, as far as the trade is concerned, I think it was a big factor this quarter, right? Yeah, exports were you know uh, a huge contributor. They've contributed more this most recent quarter than they have since you know back in 2013 or earlier. So it was a really great quarter for trade, primarily because of exports. Some of that, though, I think was was a one-time bump. Right, because of soil, soybean. Yeah, soybeans were a big part of that, and there was a lot of demand from abroad for soybeans, um, and that kind of gave us that abnormal jump up in in exports. And in fact, we just got new monthly export data oh, yeah. uh, yesterday, I believe, or today, depending on when you're listening uh-huh, to this, uh-huh. um, which showed that yeah, exports didn't do quite as well as they did in the preceding couple of months. So probably not going to be able to sustain that got that it. growth from exports. I think that you know the world economy does seem to have reached bottom and might start inching back out of the lurch a bit but it's going to take um you know a lot more than that i think to really maintain kind of the contribution of exports that we saw this time got it so i get a sense from you that in an upcoming quarter fourth quarter uh most likely we may not see a 2.9 percent well before we jump into you know forecast um i mean that sense i got from you, right? Yeah, I mean, I, ju- I don't see this as kind of the the reigniting or a reacceleration in economic growth. I think, you know, unfortunately, when you look at what consumers are doing and, and how many jobs we're adding and things like that, I think we can kind of hunker down for more of the same kind of positive, but, you know, not particularly um, encouraging or not particularly great growth that we have been seeing. Got it. Now, I know also another big component of the GDP is uh, the investment, business investment. That's right. I know it has been dragging on the GDP um, in the first half and then, of course, in 2015 because of inventory buildings and things like that. So any uh, encouraging news on the business investment side? Yeah, I mean, I think for me, the one takeaway that I get when I look at business investment is that it looks like both, you know, A, the energy sector and B, the manufacturing sector, Mm -hmm. um, although they aren't really poised to be significant contributors to growth, um, they they seem to hit bottom or at least kind of are, are coming in for that soft landing. So um, even though we can't expect them to really drive us forward, I think that the good news is that they're not going to be holding us back. They're not going to be kind of taking away Got from it. the growth that we're seeing out of consumers and things like that because we saw an uptick, uh, another uptick in residential, non-residential structures, uh-huh. a big part of which are, are oil rigs and things like that. Um, we see businesses continuing to invest in their IP, right? So still doing True. a lot of research True. and development, coming up with that kind of next best thing. And I think that's something that we have to look forward to as well. And of course, um, they did accumulate a little bit more inventory, which again, kind of lends itself to a manufacturing sector that hits bottom. Now that we're starting to kind of restock those shelves, we're probably going to need to build more and make more stuff, which is going to help that manufacturing sector from just, again, getting out of that kind of free fall mode. 
True. And just to remind everybody, I remember maybe a few weeks ago when we had the second quarter release. Yeah. I did say something about, okay, we had a negative drag on inventory, maybe third quarter could be better. I just want to remind everybody that I did say that. Oscar, you are allowed to pat yourself <laughs> on the back every now and then. Now, okay, so fourth quarter, we know that it's not going to be as strong as the third quarter. At least that's what we expect. That's right. Yeah, I think more tepid growth on, on the consumer side where, you know, they'll contribute somewhere in the 1% to 2% range, um, you know, and maybe some modest growth on the business investment side, but probably going to see some give back um, in terms of the trade balance. Got it. Now, I know sometimes we talk about GDP, it may not necessarily be completely in line with the uh, unemployment rate or the labor market. Now, the unemployment rate still is still at a very low level, just on the service, at least. Yeah, yeah. And... I think we had a, a, a latest uh, number that still shows a 4.9%. Uh, I think the number that was released this morning, if I remember correctly. Yeah, Friday the 4th, they released new uh, employment data and the household survey on unemployment. And you're right, the unemployment rate ticked back down to 4.9%. So got back down below that 5% kind of critical mark and also continued to add jobs. So I think we added you know 161,000 jobs to payrolls, which is, you know, a little bit below the kind of 200,000 average right. that we were running um, during the first half of this year. But, you know, once you're getting down towards full employment, especially in those high skilled employment categories, um, I think that the natural response is that you can't continue to grow at that same rate once you've kind of gone through this period of absorbing the kind of slack that built up because of the recession. Mm -hmm. A lot of those workers have been pulled back into the fold. And so, um, you know, we're getting more of that modest growth as we near quote unquote full employment. It's somewhat expected because of the tight supply in labor market. Uh, I noticed that also in the report that was released uh, on the 4th, mm -hmm. that retail says something about retail employment uh, getting a little soft. So maybe it's something to be concerned about or to be, I shouldn't say concerned, maybe something to pay attention to in the upcoming quarter. From a labor market perspective and indeed from a housing market perspective, because I think that, you know, it's whether you're able to buy a house is hugely a function of, right. you know, are you working and making money and things That's like true. that. And so um, that is a big employment sector. But I think the one thing to keep in mind on the retail front, at least, is um, the waters are a bit muddied because now we have this kind of offline component, That's right? True. Um, when we look at the GDP numbers, we see that consumers continue to spend, um, but we also see that the internet is continuing to grab a bigger and bigger share of that spending. And so that's maybe why you have this dichotomy between um, you know, softness in terms of retail employment and yet consumers still spending money. That you know, maybe um, we're, what we're looking at is kind of that, that capturing of market share from the brick and mortars that the internet has been able to do. And more folks are, you know, I personally just get boxes from Amazon at my house almost every day. And, <laughs> and you know, it's not that I'm not spending money, um, you know, but it's that I, you know, the convenience factor and enabling me to stay at work a little bit longer, um, you know, that I'm doing a lot more of that shopping via my computer. Admit it, you are spending money. And, well, your wife, not, it's not around here. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell my wife. <laughs> okay, so, so tight supply is definitely an issue, and that could be uh, contributing to some of the lower non-farm payroll increase. Now, of course, tight supply also lead to some wage growth. Definitely. And wage growth is something that the Federal Reserve look at. 
the wage growth, if I remember correctly, the same report mentioned about wage growth um, leading to a 0.4% gain in average hourly earning. And when compared to last year, it's a 2.8% over the past year. Now that is somewhat an alarming or somewhat of a, um, uh, a bit of a concern for the Federal Reserve, of course, when it comes to adjusting the interest rates, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know that it's necessarily a huge red flag or concern, mm -hmm. but I do think it gives them the ammunition uh, to, to really strongly consider raising rates, right? True. I mean, I think that when you, when you think about what the Fed's really most concerned about, it's inflation, and of course, people's wages and the growth and, and how much money people are making is a huge factor in terms of increasing the cost of doing business and and that's how you ultimately end up with inflation and so i think with this wage growth the fact that the economy is still growing we added you know 160,000 jobs actually the previous uh -huh. couple of months were revised up as well um and actually when you look at the core inflation numbers themselves i think we just recently um the most recent number for september showed that um core inflation or overall inflation was up like 1.6 percent year right. over year which is getting fairly close to that two percent uh inflation target that the fed looks at and so i think that um, you know, you kind of take the broader economy in general. Yeah, things aren't great. You know, we did have a decent GDP number. It looks like it's probably going to subside a bit. Uh -huh. But um, I definitely think that there's, you know, enough indicators all pointing the same direction that's going to kind of give them that, that, that support or that kind of cushion they need to be able to go ahead and start normalizing monetary policy. Yeah, and when we have been saying about interest rate, moving uh, Fed funds rate, the Federal Reserve moving uh, Fed funds rate, uh, uh, maybe towards the end of the year. I know Leslie may not agree. She's not here right now, so I can say it loud you and clear. Um, but we know that in November, the uh, FOMC statement was just released. They did not make any changes, uh, but in their statement, they did mention about possibly moving the rate uh, in, in December, looking more and more likely that they will move it in uh, December. And of course, even if they increase the rate, I don't think it is going to be a significant increase. No, definitely. I mean, you know, if you really parse their statement, you can see that they said that, you know, I think last time they met, they said they were looking for continued growth and improvement in the economy. Uh, and this time they said that they see that the economies continue to grow and improve. And so I think that, um, you know, they're doing their best to to put out the vibe that that they're moving towards a rate increase in the uh, increase in the near future. So and if they increase it in December, uh, we can probably be sure that there will be some additional movement in uh, upcoming 2017. Uh, whether it be 25 basis point or 50 basis point, I think it depends on how strong the economy is, obviously. Yeah, I've given up trying to predict the <laughs> number of rate increases that they're going to do, um, but I do expect that we'll get one. Um, you know, I'm, I'm fairly confident that we'll see one in December just based on the, the most recent statement and those five you know, key indicators that I just mentioned. But even if they don't, I expect to see it you know, in the first half of 2017. Um, and you know, how many they do, I think, is open to debate and definitely contingent on what happens in the economy. But there's no doubt that they right. want to normalize monetary policy and so um, given how late we are in the cycle I mean the recession ended as I said back in 2009 um, you know we're seven years into this recovery um, we got to start thinking about that next inevitable downturn so that's very very true now one caveat about the possibility of raising rates in December is of course we don't know too much about 
what's going to happen in the upcoming election. Now, I'm not going to go into that right away, but Thank one you. thing, one thing to talk about, one thing to mention is, let's say if we do have a surprise outcome, there is a possible uh, volatility in the uh, financial market. Well, that's where you'll see it first, for sure. Yes. So if that happens, of course, Federal Reserve will kind of stand pat, probably move back to see how the stock market goes first before jumping into moving interest rate. And and also, if there is a surprise outcome, we don't even know if Janet Yellen is going to be the Fed chair. That's right. <laughs> yep, that's true. So, uh, no, the, the election is definitely the wild card out there. Um, so we'll, you know, wait and see what happens. I can say that, you know, the... There is some solace in the fact that you know we'll know either way come Tuesday, and we can all start to kind of get back to to real life and get back to business. Very true. Now let's just take a step back and take a look at what uh, the interest rate trend is currently. The interest rate trend, yeah, because it's been pretty transparent. Federal Reserve made it very clear that it's most likely they won't raise rate until December. So interest rates has been actually pretty stable. I think it did trend up slightly. Uh, to I think the when it bottomed out in June and July, late June, July, it was right around three point four for the thirty year fixed rate. Yeah. Right now it's three point five maybe, slightly above that. Yep. Um and so I we could we can probably expect interest rates to continue to trend up in the next six months or so, right? Yeah, definitely. But I think, you know, we're still looking at kind of sub 4% interest rates for, you know, at least through 2017. I don't think that the economy's growing, you know, near fast enough where they can really do um, precipitous increases in interest rates at the Federal Reserve level. And I think, you know, the other thing to keep in mind always um, when we're talking and what matters for the housing market is mortgage rates, right? And so um, what the Fed's really tweaking is is short-term rates and and at the long end of the yield curve on 30-year type loan products, um, you know, there's much more global dynamics involved there in terms of just the flow of capital to and from countries and, you know, the U.S. continues to benefit from inflows of foreign capital, which uh-huh. tend to you know, make long-term rates not as responsive to what the exactly. Fed does um, to overnight rates. Yeah, the global economic uh, conditions definitely make a, a, an effect, and we don't know what's going to happen with uh, exactly what's going to ha- what happen with the UK and the Euro zone. Yeah, um, I but I do believe recently we received a report on Eurozone, and they seem to be more healthier than we. Uh, we previously thought, which is a good thing. Yeah, Britain's actually hanging on despite the Brexit, but you know that right. still has a lot, long way to play out. Definitely, and of course, with interest rate hiking up, or I should say, hiking up, trending up slightly in the last couple of weeks, we are seeing some slowdown in mortgage applications, uh, particularly in the refinance activity. Yeah, definitely. I mean, rates are still really cheap, and yet we haven't seen much movement at all on mortgage applications mm-hmm. for the last, you know, three, four, five weeks in a row. We've, you know, seen maybe a tiny uptick and then a retrenchment and then flatness. I mean, it's just, you know, it's surprising given how how affordable mortgage debt is that we're not seeing more applications come in because, of course, these are just applications. These are just, 
you know, people wanting to buy and applying for that mortgage, not necessarily approved mortgages. And so, um, you know, you would think with the economy doing better, incomes rising, more and more folks having jobs, um, 161,000 just this last month, that you'd start to see that filter through into mortgage applications. But I think, you know, affordability is is kind of the tail of the tape on that one where, you know, yeah, I've got a job and I'm making a bit more money. And if I could borrow money, it'd be fairly cheap by historical standards. But, um, you know, I'm looking at a five, six, seven hundred thousand dollar home price, mm-hmm. and you know that's where the rubber meets the road on that one. And that definitely is something that we need to address the housing affordability issues. And so that's kind of segue into what I want to give you guys a heads up for next week. You're welcome. Now, next week, thank you, thank you. The next week we have you know quite a few things going on. I'll, I'll you know look at the lighter side first. Of course, we have a. For, from the research and economics, we have a uh, housing affordability index release that will be coming out. One of our most important indicators. Definitely. I you know, hope you all take a look. Definitely. And the unique one, too. Uh, not a lot of uh, companies, uh, research institute, re- uh, release anything on affordability. So it will be out on Wednesday. Uh, so pay attention to it. Um, take a look at our website. You'll get some quarterly data on, at the state level, national level, as well as the county level. Now, we also have another a very important event that's coming up uh, on Thursday that you're pretty involved. I think you will be attending. We have an event, uh, the California Association of Realtors having their second uh, year uh, real estate su- housing summit. Yeah, that's right. The Center for California Real Estate is um, putting on a, a summit directly focused on uh, this question of affordability uh-huh. and not just kind of an esoteric or a theoretical um, you know, in the clouds discussion, it's really to bring folks together, economists, policymakers, real estate professionals, um, mortgage bankers, those types of folks to really come up with practical solutions on, you know, given California's current environment, mm-hmm. how do we address this housing affordability um, and bring solutions to the table that are going to, you know, address housing affordability, which is really um, just a, a clever way to get at this kind of falling home ownership rate, which Definitely. is what we ultimately care about. Definitely. And it's going to be on Thursday, November 10th, from 9 to one thirty, And CR is actually live streaming the, uh, the particular event. We will have an open sessions and we will have a sessions on uh, the economic of housing affordability moderated by Joel, Joel Singer, our CEO. And there are a lot of participants, as you mentioned, people from USC, from UCLA, from Berkeley, and from uh, the Department of Housing and Community Development. So, uh, and and of course, also from uh, Redfin, people from Redfin That's uh, right. will be attending and you know joining in the discussion. So definitely uh, join see, uh, join the live stream. If you want more information about the live stream, you can definitely go to CAR website, uh, click on About Us, and click on Thought Leadership. When you get to that page, you will see a uh, screen that on that particular time, you will see some live stream. Uh, and of course, uh, for additional information, you can also go there. And I believe you probably will be, Jordan, you will be taking some notes and maybe helping out communication. Yeah, to, yeah, we're going to write a report, report kind of summarizing all this stuff when it's all said and done and kind of wrapping up with some of those um, key takeaways from the meeting. But it's going to be a great event. I would advise you to try and live stream it if you can, mm-hmm. uh, bringing together, like I said, you've got everyone from kind of PhD academic types right. to, you know, our own CEO from CAR to 
public sector folks and planning and development and um, zoning and policy making to um, actual business people who are in the field and worried about you know how their workers find affordable housing and things like That's that. True. Um, so it's really bringing folks together from all three of the critical spheres of you know public, private sector, and academia to to figure out how we address this kind of chronic problem that we have. So going to be a really great event. Yeah, definitely uh, listen to it, and hopefully we can get some solutions from some of these uh, experts. Now, there's another event, a uh, pretty obvious event that I think everyone should participate. Next week, next Tuesday, we have our election. That's right. Yeah, we're going to elect the big office, but there's a lot of other important things happening um, as well. And so it's, you know, it's so critical, especially here in California, where we've right. kind of democratized the the voting process in many ways and lots of you know ballot measures and um, propositions and local stuff too so you know yes the the presidential election critically important and that's exactly. going to set the tone and stage for the next four years but a lot of other stuff that's you know equally as important that's probably uh, maybe have a more immediate impact on on your own life on exactly. those local bills right exactly i mean we talked about housing affordability i know the president, uh, presidential candidates, they may not have put a lot of emphasis on housing affordability or the housing problem, but the local issues, the local measures, they definitely have a lot of uh, measures on their ballot. Just San Francisco Bay Area alone, for mm -hmm. example, there are 17 ballot measures about housing affordability wow. or affordable housing. So everyone, make sure you go out and vote and put your ballot, you know, submit your vote in. Make sure it counts. If you don't go out, it's not going to count. So. Yeah, and then you can't complain. So if nothing else, it gives you that insurance so that you can complain about whatever happens down the road. So Definitely. And we don't know too much about what's going to happen, but we'll find out when uh, in two weeks from now when we have another podcast. We'll probably give you an update. Yeah. All right. Thank you for listening again, and have a good weekend. See you next time. Yeah.